So I am interviewing Natasha Chart today for WLRM. And um, Natasha, you are a member of WOLF, the Women's Liberation Front. You sit on the WOLF Board of Directors, and you're a staff writer for the media organization Feminist Current. Could you tell our listeners how you became a feminist and what motivated you to become involved in feminist organizing, writing, and activism? Sure, and thanks for having me on, Priscilla. I really appreciate it. I guess I would say that I became a feminist from a background of having been raised as a Jehovah's Witness, which is a very conservative Christian denomination, and having left that as a young person. And I ended up in a lot of abusive situations and relationships that I didn't really have a lot of context for. And as I got older and got more involved in politics, um, you know, I was raised with the adults around me believing and telling me that there was no real need for feminism anymore, that anything it had needed to accomplish, it had already comp- accomplished, that it was kind of a an historical artifact. And as I started reading more feminist analysis, it gave me, you know, more, more of a meaning than personal misfortune for the things that had happened in my life that put into political context the domestic violence, the other experiences, you know, I don't want to necessarily, that's not what this is about, but it gave me a sense of greater political purpose. And, you know, but moving into liberal politics was, it was another, it was another eye-opening experience for the need for feminism, because I can tell you that, you know, liberal men have not exercised sexism from themselves. So when you talk to women in liberal politics, you know, they complain about all of the same things that women in other industry sectors do, being ignored or having their ideas stolen or being passed over for promotion for less qualified men. It's all replicated within the system. And I ended up as identifying as a radical feminist and taking that on as a political analysis because I grew increasingly concerned with the way that I saw people in feminist media and activism advancing what sounded like men's rights arguments, just disparaging historical feminists, being very bigoted and biased against lesbians in ways that I thought we were long past understanding were very homophobic, you know, criticizing lesbians' rights to date who they wanted, criticizing women-only gatherings, and just a, a very enthusiastic support for the sex industry that, you know, it wasn't a topic I'd looked at a lot before, but the more I, you know, it was brought to my attention, the more concerned I was with the arguments that I was hearing. And fortunately, a lot of women had gotten there before me with these concerns. And so I started talking to radical feminists who shared them and had done so much writing and sharing of resources that that's how I ended up with Wolf. Yeah, and Wolf is definitely an organization that supports lesbianism and lesbian lesbians gathering in men-free spaces. So how can we or you reconcile that value held and aligning with right-wing organizations that are anti-gay and lesbian. Well, even though we, you know, arrived 
to a couple of points of agreement with conservatives on the harms of the sex industry and on the the fact that women exist, that we are, we are a material reality and that we need to have distinct legal recognition as a class, we, we came to those perspectives from a very different place. And it's such an important question. We, there are, when men in politics organize across differences, they get hailed as innovators and heroes. And if we start looking at the policies that we support and defend, you know, when they, when they come up, Social Security, the State Children's Health Insurance Plan, the Affordable Care Act, all of these things were created through alliances with people who did not agree with each other and who found some of each other's beliefs sometimes even abhorrent, who would strenuously argue about all kinds of other things, but they come together on this one thing. And this is just how politics is commonly done. I disagree with conservatives about a lot, but as I was just saying, I disagree with liberals about a lot too. How do we make progress? I don't think that I have a greater desire for the total liberation of all women than the suffragists did, for example. And, you know, what did they work on? Well, women need the right to vote so we can participate. You know, women in the past have worked on getting us the right to open our own bank account. And I'm really glad that we can do that because as hard as it is to get a nonprofit together for women's issues, I can't imagine the logistical hurdles of getting a nonprofit together if all of us women who wanted to be involved had to get the permission of like husband or a father to participate. Mm-hmm. Fathom that, the difficulty of it. Right. And, and oh, yeah. I was just going to say these categories, left and right, conservative and liberal, come from male-dominated politics, right? So when we are working together in coalition to make progress for women's rights, we're creating a new kind of politics that maybe isn't conservative or liberal even. What what do we call it when it's woman-created? Because all of politics are male-created for the most part. Andrea Dworkin, of course, said that the right often, I'm very loosely paraphrasing, but that the right often acts as though women are private property and the left as if we are public property. And a feminist politics has to come from the perspective that we aren't property, that we own our We can't, you know, what I see as a goal is to move the ball forward for future generations of women or at the very least to hold the line. And I think we're in a position right now where we have a new thing happening, which is that the line is being moved from the left in a way that, you know, now they're saying, well, there are no women. Oh, a woman is just whatever you think a woman is. That's not a legal category. That's not a defined class of persons. You know, like our existence under the law is is under direct threat right now. And that's mainly coming from liberals. What about conservatives? Are they going get to get on board with the erasure of femaleness through trans identity politics like we've seen on the left? It's hard to say. And I think it would be premature to say that anyone does know how that's going to be. It's been suggested that perhaps we should have talked to, I think this was the the intention, like the log cabin Republicans. Well, I mean, they seem supportive of gender identity laws, as far as I can tell from their public statements. So I don't... (laughs) You know, if you look in the UK at the the Tories, you know, they're 
the UK Conservatives seem very on board with gender identity legislation and are preparing to erase women's legal existence in favor of gender identity to replace sex-based protections with whatever I say I feel like protection. I, I think it would be reckless to assume that things will just turn out the way we want them to without our having to, you know, help row the boat. I, I feel like that's kind of a, an, an abdication of responsibility because this isn't just, it's not just about who can come up with the best ideas and the best arguments. You know, it's about who can get things done. Everybody else is taking action in this sphere. And I mean, radical feminists have come up with great arguments, I think. I found them very persuasive, obviously. Yeah. Um, but that's right. Not but there's how a limit. Things to, get decided. Right. There's a limit to making change through good arguments and education. You also have to take action, especially when you're talking about the violent powers that be. They're not going to just give up that power. And yeah. so. Could you tell me how many members Wolf has approximately? We have, I, I don't have an exact current count, but it's it's a few hundred members. Do you know how those members were recruited? Were they recruited? Did they come find Wolf? Or how, how does Wolf function as an organization? Well, women find us through word of mouth by, you know, recommendations by friends. Uh, some women find us through our website. You know, we, we encourage women who want to work with us to apply so that we can see if we're a good fit. I can tell you I would certainly love it if there were other, even a lot of other organized radical feminist groups. I think that would be fabulous. I would love to see more radical feminist activity of any kind. You know, women running for office, making more media, starting more local groups. It would be a renaissance. And speaking out under our own names. I mean, I ended up on the board at Wolf. I, I don't even know if I am the very best qualified person for it, but I'm one of the few people who was in a position to publicly be out under my own name as believing gender critical views. You know, one of the ways that, you know, sort of an outside influence that defines a lot about the way Wolf functions because, you know, most of our members are anonymous and we respect and protect their privacy, but they're anonymous because they're afraid to be public. And I think that's an entirely valid concern for any <laughs> women who are concerned yeah. about repercussions, as you know, as you have every reason to know. And so one of the ways that we operate is we provide a, a safe and private discussion space for women to organize and share their concerns. And that that defines a lot of what we have done so far and what we have been able to do. Because there are a lot of things that in order to take effective action, you need to have people who you know are willing to put their name on a piece of paper and say, hey, this is me. I, I own this belief. I own association with this group under my own name. That's not like a rule that we made, but it defines so much of the decisions we've made and how we've been constrained in our organizing so far and constrained in what we can do now. Yeah, and thankfully, from the perspective of being a founding member of WLRN and working at this Grassroots Feminist Media Collective for a year, I have seen in a year's time an increase in radical feminist groups being created 
and doing different things than what Wolf is doing, like the Untamable Shrews come to mind. I don't think they have hundreds of members. I would doubt that. I mean, that would be awesome if they did. But they're really focused on street art, getting the word out about radical feminism by taking to the streets and putting up all kinds of art and provocative messaging, you know, and it's just taken off. And in women over here, in because I, I, it's Melbourne, Australia-based group. I believe it's Melbourne, Australia. I know it's down under <laughs> somewhere is where it, it began. But um, there are women here in Madison, where I live, that are talking about the untamable shrews now and wanting to take to the streets and mimic that kind of tactic. So I do think our radical feminist movement is growing. I agree with you that it's still dangerous to come out as a feminist in today's political climate, but hopefully if more and more of us do it, they can't take us all down, you know, so, and we do have a lot of anonymous underground support for what we're doing. I wanted to ask you the, a, a question that is on the minds of many a feminist about Wolf's decision to accept money from the Alliance Defending Freedom, which is a right-wing conservative group, and agrees with radical feminists on some issues. What does Wolf agree with in, in terms of what ADF stands for? And where is their disagreement? And then also, how has Wolf been able to take this money and know that Wolf can continue to promote reproductive freedoms for women, for example, lesbian culture, and things that I presume the ADF are not so excited about? <laughs> right. Well, we, you know, I, I outlined earlier that we agree narrowly on, you know, and as, as an end point for very different reasons, we agree on the harms of the sex industry. We agree that, that women exist as a distinct legal class. I think probably everything else that, you know, our respective groups see as like a need for political action and change in our society, we probably disagree with. I, I can't think of anything else that we are particularly in line with, but it's not, you know, for that reason, the agreement was very narrow. They had read our legal brief, our, our court filing. They found our reasoning in it agreeable, and they supported offsetting our legal costs. They don't, you know, that once we got that grant, it was used for what we had agreed to use it for immediately. I guess I would say that there's there's a mutual, there was for that particular agreement, a mutual accord as there ever would be that we agree on this, we are coordinating an action on it. We're not going to try to cover every other topic or there couldn't be an agreement. We're not going to try to enforce restrictions on what they say, and they're not trying to enforce restrictions on what we say. Oh, okay. Well, that's you a know, very still, important point. We still <laughs> hold our beliefs as we ever had. And, and we, we can even promote support. them through our task forces and whatnot. Like if you go to the Wolf website, there are four task forces. You know, one of them is about reproductive freedom. And so that wording didn't change after accepting this money, right? No. There were some minor changes that we needed to make because of 
concerns about the incorporation process. You know, before, and this comes, this comes into people being anonymous and someone needing, you know, the difference between being an anonymous network of feminists versus an incorporated organization. As soon as somebody needs to sign their name on the dotted line on a government form, you have a different, a different sort of organization than we're a group of women who, you know, loosely and informally coordinate together in our feminist activities. We made some changes for that reason, because having to incorporate as a 501c3 means different things about how you're representing your purposes. But for working with ADF, we changed nothing. So, and one of my questions is a question that I've seen out there in the femisphere amongst women talking about Wolf accepting the ADF grant. Basically, how can Wolf now not be seen as a front group for this conservative organization? Because the argument goes that Wolf has been bought by this organization now because money was exchanged. And so now Wolf is just a front group for this conservative group. How can that be changed, that perception? I mean, people can believe what they want to believe, but the women who first started this organization and those of us who run it now are as committed to feminist principles as we ever were. You know, I had an ectopic pregnancy a couple of years ago, and I needed, I needed to get removed on an emergency basis so that I can be talking to you here today. I'm not going to do anything that diminishes women's access to a full range of reproductive health care. That's just not something, you know, speaking for myself, that I would ever countenance or tolerate. The other women in Wolf that I talk to and know, and that's certainly a criteria for joining us, feel as strongly as I do for their own reasons. And people can trust that or not. They can see what we're doing and, you know, see if they believe us. I... This, I mean, this, this question, and especially because it's been raised so much around the issue of abortion, is something that has bothered me for a long time in, in terms of aligning with the left. Because, you know, President Obama was pretty iffy on abortion rights. You know, when the Affordable Health Care Act was negotiated, abortion rights were what was negotiated a way to get it. That was the big argument, one of the major ones. And, you know, he, he then additionally signed two further executive orders restricting, you know, making it, yes, absolutely clear there will be not $1 spent on abortion in the Affordable Care Act that we're all defending now. And it brought life-saving health care to many millions of people and was very important. But how is how are people not compromised taking money from liberals? support that. You know, you believe what you believe and people trust that or they don't. I, <laughs> I don't mm-hmm. know. The, the, the idea that the left really supports women's rights, which I feel like is not always the argument, but is, you know, just sort of a common underlying presumption. People in the abortion rights movement have protested radical feminists organizing for abortion rights. You know, we've had members seen on posters for abortion right actions that gender women with gender-critical views are not welcome. And yet, 
Radical feminists work with these organizations all the time because they support abortion rights. Some of them, you know, work directly for those organizations and get a salary. Are they compromised? I mean, there are, we could just play this game all day, Mm -hmm. all day long. And at the end of it, I think we're all probably working for the same thing. And it's reasonable for women to have concerns and to discuss them. But, you know, I I hope that our actions will show that we have tried to hold the line on women's rights so that future generations of women will be able to argue for better recognition of their rights instead of wonder what we lost. Because I feel like, you know, every once in a while I go and I look up pictures of women attending university in Kabul in the 70s, and they look every bit as modern as their contemporaries elsewhere in the West. I mean, they they could have been pictures taken in Berkeley, California at the time. It is not guaranteed that progress goes one way. It is not guaranteed that things get better for women. It is not guaranteed that we cannot fall so far so fast. I mean, there are women alive today who remember what it was like before women could open their own bank accounts. I feel like a lot of this discussion lacks depth of understanding of the ways in which the West is not always our friend and the ways in which our rights are not guaranteed and are tenuous and recent and that it's very urgent that we protect baselines that we thought were just assumed. You know, I, I don't want our contemporaries to be the last generation of lesbian bisexual and autistic women who make it who made it to adulthood without being told that we needed to take testosterone or consider getting a hysterectomy. I mean yeah. that that just sounds I mean ten years ago that would have been crazy talk. What are you talking about? What do you mean? Mm-hmm. That's just that's just something from back in the eugenics era. Nobody would ever do that. And now any gender non conforming girl, for whatever reason her peers are increasingly suggesting to her, her teachers even, sometimes, you know, there was that New York Times article about that mom talking about how her daughter's teachers are constantly checking, you know, are you sure she wants to be called she? This would have been unimaginable when we were growing up that that was happening. How much worse will it get? I was raised in a household where very hurtful things were said about people who were same-sex attracted. And that affected me as a young person growing up. You know, when I got older and came to the realization that I was bisexual, it's been a long time processing the hurt of that. But for all that was wrong in that, I grew up to adulthood as whole and healthy as my parents could get me there. I did not have people telling me I was really a boy. Yeah. You know, and that's that's something where... I think we need to look at this from a how far could we fall argument where people are just micro-examining the actions of their children. Do you conform? How scary is that? How dystopian is that? Do you act like a real girl or are we, or are we going to have to refer you to, for a mastectomy? Are you a real girl? Are you sure? Do you like the pink dresses enough? Do you like the bows enough? That's frightening. And I wonder if everyone having these discussions is taking that seriously enough. Because I take it seriously and it it really worries me. It worries me a lot. Are Mm -hmm. we going to have 
lesbians in a generation? Will there be any? Will they make it to adulthood without believing that they're men? When mm-hmm. everybody in society is telling a child that they're wrong, what does the child think? Mm-hmm. It's, well, it's course, the rare person who says, no, it's you who are wrong. Right. It is the rare person, but there are teenage girls speaking out and saying, I am a girl, I, don't, I am a girl, and I'm a lesbian, and I'm not going to wear dresses. There are teenagers that are doing that, but probably with a lot of pushback and lack of support because it's going against the grain these days. Absolutely. I feel like we've come to a crisis point and that I read your situation analysis internal wolf document and I, I just, I really feel the way to fight extremist thought and culture and ideology is to first of all recognize that it's happening and do a lot of research, expose it, and create or an organization like Wolf to to get organized and to to fight back. And that's what I see. I mean, I I think other radical feminists using different tactics also have a role to play. But the situation is so dire as you described and as is described in the situation analysis document that it's like we don't really have a choice but to form coalitions. And also, like you said, when men form coalitions, they're praised for it. So if, if, if women are going to find some common ground and put aside other areas that we disagree on, to move forward with an action plan when we've got a crisis situation on our hands, why can't we unite and come together and have respect for a diversity of tactics? So, you know, if, if filing lawsuits and going down that legal path is not for you as a feminist activist and you're more into street art, that's great. Do it. You know, but let's not tear each other down. Uh, absolutely. Well, you know, and there are a lot of women who are understandably having been really hurt for many years in the fight to get funding for, get support for people who are stricken with the AIDS virus, the fight for marriage equality, the fight not to be blanket fired for, I was reading a a lesbian history statement just this morning about a woman who remembered when in the 80s when Reagan had told all the women's shelters that they had to fire all the known lesbians on staff or lose federal funding. I've never heard that what, <laughs> what year before was that? that that had happened. She did not give a precise date. It, it was in the 80s. So, I mean, I can absolutely understand women who have like a very vivid memory of these things, not wanting to take the route that we've taken or for other reasons. And they they don't have to do that. I certainly don't think that this is the only way to engage. It's just the way that we've found and that we ended up having the connections and background. And when I say connections, I mean we made friends with people through, you know, the Just Want Privacy campaign in Washington State. Kaylee Trillerhaver, and I hope I didn't just mangle her name, reached out to Miriam Ben Shalom, and that's where a lot of this got started, which was independent of Wolf, and it just got a lot of women talking. 
Kaylee started inviting her conservative friends to the conversation and Miriam started bringing her liberal friends to the conversation. And, you know, we were like, well, we disagree, we disagree on a lot, but we agree on these couple of things. And we're going to talk about them and see what we can get done because it turns out that there are a lot of conservative women who are also concerned about, you know, their physical privacy rights. And they're also concerned about, you know, the sterilization of minor children, which is alarming. (laughs) And that's Mm -hmm. something that's objectively alarming to most people, which I think is why discussion of it has been so squelched. But there's a lot of agreement on that issue. So, you know, we we try to work around those points of agreement and just accept that, you know, we can't and don't want to and don't need to control every statement that comes out of each other's mouth. That's that's not how things are going to get done. The people who agree with us on absolutely everything are such a small number of people. I I don't know. You know, it's hard to get a a lot accomplished. In politics, you either need a lot of money or you need a lot of people, one or the other, but you can't have neither. You know what I mean? We're we're trying to work towards getting a lot of people since we don't have a lot of money. Yeah. um, Speaking of getting a lot of people, could you tell our listeners how they can learn more about Wolf? And also, if there's anything else you want to say to our largely radical feminist and lesbian feminist listeners before we sign off? Well, please visit our website, womensliberationfront.org, and we would we would love to hear from you. I I just want to say that I I tremendously admire the thought and organizing often in the face of really intense threats and opposition that the women in the radical feminist community have done over the years to raise awareness of the threats to women's rights that are posed by gender identity policies in the sex industry, even when people didn't want to listen and not too long ago, that was me who was not listening. For all the women who refused to be silenced and refused to be shut up and put in the corner, I salute and respect them. Even the ones that I have come to disagree with, it's, it's an impressive thing to fight back against so much opposition and to have the whole world tell you that you're wrong and to stand up for what you know is right. So I, I can't wait to see what everyone will do in the years to come. Okay, thank you so much, Natasha. You have a wonderful day. (laughs) You too. Take care. Bye-bye.